um, we decided it was best that I um, hire a new CEO um, uh, to take it forward. Creating a new bank was was just pretty bonkers. Like nobody thought that was going to happen, and nobody thought you could disrupt the big banks. They just said that's that's. Most people said that never going to happen. I mean, I'm a big supporter of entrepreneurs, but I think businesses sometimes deserve to die. If your sales not ten thousand dollars or more, there is no way you can afford a human meeting. No way in hell. Not even one human meeting. My guest today is a big name in the fintech space, Ricky Knox, who's best known for co-founding and being the CEO of Tandem Bank. On the show today, Ricky tells me why he's no longer the CEO of the company he set up in 2014. Ricky tells me what it's like launching a challenger bank and the difficulties raising money and securing a banking license. We also talk about life after Tandem Bank and the new fintech he's invested in, and he shares his vision on the future of investment opportunities. I'm your host, Mark McDonough, and this is the UKTN Podcast. Our sponsors of the show, Uncapped, believe it's crazy that for e-commerce businesses to fund growth through marketing, infantry, or hiring, they have to sell equity to VCs, especially when they know they'll make that money back right away. Uncapped solved that problem. Already helping over 500 businesses worldwide, they offer up to 5 million of capital for a flat fee. You pay back only as you generate sales, no dilution or loss of control. Founders simply apply online, receive a decision within 24 hours and make monthly repayments that flex with your revenue. Head to weareuncapped.com forward slash UKTN to find out more. And to avail of a 10% discount off your fees, use the code UKTN10. That's UKTN10. Now let's get into the show. All right, Ricky, thanks so much for, for coming on the podcast. I haven't spoken to you since, what, like when I interviewed you last in 2019 on, on Behind the Curtain. So lots has happened, especially your side. And I, I won't I won't skip over the question, but you're no longer with Tandem. So what's happened there? That's right. That's right. So I parted ways, obviously, um, it, it, an, an interesting thing, sort of, you know, almost parting ways with your kid. Uh, I suppose people have to do it at, 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 at a certain stage. Um, but yeah, it was uh, we built Tandem to the place where it was a successful business. Uh, we pivoted it um, uh, to, um, to specializing in green lending, so building a good green bank, talk about uh, actually lending money for people to put solar panels on their roofs. Um, and allowing people to put money in a savings account where that's only going to fund um, essentially green loans, um, which was super exciting. Um, but in terms of uh, in terms of where the business was heading um, and and where the you know shareholders and board wanted to take it, um, uh, um, we decided it was best that I um, hire a new CEO um, uh, to take it forward. So you know I've been seven eight years. That's about the longest I've ever run any company. So. Um, uh, it was, uh, it was, it was time for, uh, for me to sit by the sidelines and, uh, and, and watch the, watch Tandem flourish. What well, was it hard to do that? Because, you know, like I've, you know, ran a couple of companies in the past myself and it's never nice when you either close one or walk away from one. It, it's always a hard decision. Was it, was it a tough decision for you to make? Not, not, not particularly tough. I mean, I think the um, I've in the the difference in the past. I've often stepped away from a business after about the same time period. Mostly, I've stayed on the board, and I am, you know, staying in advisory capacity at Tandem. Um, uh, so that's that was the only real difference. But actually, I'm definitely. Uh, I mean, it's a bit cheesy to call yourself a serial entrepreneur, but you know, I'm out on you know, uh, five businesses, uh, I think it's just about qualified for cereal. And, um, and, and so there's always something new. Uh, there's always new stuff that I'm looking at working on. And, um, and it seemed like the right time to, uh, to step away, if I'm honest. I, I think people tend to forget how early Tandem really was, you know, like, I think you launched that in, in when was it, in 2014. And, you know, like when when it comes to to banking, people are are so familiar with the likes of the the Monzos and the Starling Banks and the Revoluts. And it's only when I was reading Anne Bowden's book recently from Starling Bank that she was talking about when she was raising money. I think she was actually trying to raise money from the the same people that invested in Tandem. And around like this is before she'd raised anything. And one of the rounds that she thought she might have got, um, they didn't invest in Starling Bank, and they ended up putting more money into Tandem. So like that's how early you were compared to the likes of Starling Bank and Monzo. 
Yeah, no, it was, I mean, it really was super early. So, um, uh, we, um, the, 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 the option B, which is a different way of applying for a banking license was announced in December, 2012, which was really pioneered by Metro bank. Um, and, uh, it was at that point that Matt Cooper and I started talking about, so December, 2012 started talking about, um, setting up a bank. We'd actually had some chats previously, but we kind of, it's impossible. You need hundreds of millions and you need to gamble it on a license. Um, and so, you know, I remember meeting up with him in Jan 2013 and going, wow, this is, this is changes, you know, this is now feasible. Um, should we, should we give it a go? Um, and in fact, we incorporated in July, 2013, uh, 2013, you know, it's a long, uh, it was very, very early. Um, and although I was living in Bali at the time, uh, so uh, it turns out you can't apply for a banking license when you're living in Bali or in fact, anywhere other than the UK. So I had to come back and it was 2014 when we sat down with the team, 2014 sort of November. But I mean, and, and I didn't know the other, only other person who was thinking about it at the time was Anthony Thompson, who was ex-Metro. So had obviously been through that experience, been on the board of Metro, stepped away from Metro and, and started cooking up Atom. And I, I only realized, so I think we had our first meeting in, Jul in July 2014 with the Bank of England. Um, and, um, uh, and, and, it, and then I think in September, I found out about Atom. And in November, I found out about Starling also having a go at this. At the time, Starling very much with Tom Blomfeld on board um, uh, and, and part of the project. So, so yeah, we were, and, and actually in terms of licenses, um, Adam got theirs first, we got ours second, then Starling, then Monzo. And people sometimes forget that because Monzo was already in the market with a prepaid card, but actually the license order was, was that way around. So, you know, it was, we were the second like digital bank license in the UK and, 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 and arguably, you know, um, depending what you count as digital bank, uh, um, you know, second worldwide because the UK was well ahead of other countries. Let's be clear, there were other, there were previous generations of digital banks out there. And I'm sure lots of other people have claimed that crown. Um, uh, but yeah, it was, it was, it was super early doors. I'd love to know what it was like then, because like it's very hard to, to look at any tech media companies now without seeing uh, either a fintech uh, launching either, either every day or every week at least something new was always happening but back then it wouldn't have been a, as frequent like what what type of response were you getting like from regulators because obviously the, it, the whole thing had to be regulated but so some regulation and then also from investors what type of response were you getting is this actually worth uh, i will answer that question worth winding back a little bit because um, you know, I sold my first fintech in like 2004, um, and um, uh, and started investing in what we called at the time um, technology disruption and retail financial services, which is a not very snappy title for what's pretty much now called fintech. Um, uh, or and at the time, fintech wasn't really a term; it, it had been used to describe sort of capital markets um, systems, software systems. Um, but but it wasn't um, it wasn't really very widely used at all. So, um, uh, um, so so it just wasn't a thing. And and I remember thinking at the time um, because I sold this foreign exchange software business. Um, you know, hang on. You know what's happening in e-commerce. Um, you know, and retailers are being completely disrupted. It's going to happen in financial services. And everyone's like, no, the regulation won't allow it. It's not going to happen. Um, so it took, a, it took a lot of years. You know, that was, as I said, um, so 2004. And, and we, you know, there were early, in fact, I was chatting uh, today with a, uh, an ex-employee of, of Monetize, which was, um, uh, one of the, the, the leaders and, and introduced the first mobile banking for NatWest and everyone else had a plug into the ATM system. And they then sold it as a mobile app. It was super, a uh, good guy called Al Lukies who was running that business. Um, and they were, they were kind of, you know, right, you know, super early in the, in the sort of fintech, uh, revolution. Um, uh, we saw them at seed round because we were doing some investing after my exit. Um, so, so we're saying that, you know, it, it, you know, it, it just really didn't exist uh, as a, as a concept back, you know, uh, back 2004-05. Um, uh, by the time you got to sort of 2013, and, and I, at that point, already built another two payments companies, payments were starting to be fairly well trodden path, but certainly like the idea of, 
of, of creating a new bank was was just pretty bonkers. Like nobody thought that was going to happen and nobody thought that you could disrupt the big banks. They just said that's, that's most people said that never going to happen. And, and actually, uh, I had one particularly uh, entertaining trip um, uh, around Silicon Valley where I went to see all the big firms, the Andreessen Horowitz's, the benchmarks, the, and, um, uh, and, and, and about my third meeting, um, this guy um, uh, laughed, started burst out laughing when I walked in the room, and I was like, "What are you laughing about?" And he's like, uh, "He's like, and you didn't know this guy, you did stop? you?" No, I, no, I didn't. Uh, well, actually, no, I'd met him before. I knew him regularly, and, and he goes, uh, "He goes, you're a doppelganger. Just walked out of the room like 20 minutes earlier. Um, this guy, and he was selling exactly the same thing. I'm going to disrupt banking. I was like, I can't believe you guys." Two ginger bearded lads running, running around trying to sell me on the, the banks are going to digitize. It's like it's rubbish. Anyway, so that guy wasn't much of a target from there on, you know. Um, but it was actually fairly comedy. I mean, because I was, I, it turned out, and Tom, I think I had a few more meetings than Tom at the time, and 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 I'd already been around Silicon Valley a few times. Uh, in first time when I was actually working in VC myself until sort of early 2000 to 2002. So I knew some of these folks from, from, from a few years back. Um, but it was, uh, Tom had been out with Y Combinator when I think he was doing, um, their go cardless, was uh, it? Go cardless yeah. business. Yeah. And so, and, and so we sort of met a few folks out there as well, but, um, uh, um, but we we both we both hit the circuit. I mean, with literally within you know on the same sort of five day patch, <laughs> not deliberately. Um, uh, and uh, and so so that was some of the reaction was exactly that. There were interestingly, Andreessen Horowitz were a little forward looking there, and they were actually super fascinated. Actually, came and sent Angela Strange out to spend a lot of time in our office. Um, because they were like, this is, you know, because Mark had actually been writing some stuff about, you know, financial services is going to go. He hadn't been very specific about banking and actually came out with a few editorials shortly after we met around, you know, how he felt that the whole banking piece was going to go relatively soon. So, so there were people who were, who were receptive and there were others who were the majority, I would say, were, thought were absolutely nuts. Um, uh, and the regulator was funny because, um, uh, you know, the, 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 the first meetings and at the time, this wasn't a very well-trodden path. They almost didn't have a process for it because they didn't just introduce this thing in 2012 and nobody used this option B yet, apart from, you know, uh, Atom who turned up and was literally just having a chat like us. And they started with a, um, to describe him correctly, but a sort of gatekeeper bulldog guy who basically tried very hard to discourage us from applying for a banking license. He was like, do you have any idea how important? But I was sitting there with Matt Cooper, who'd actually not only applied for, but got a banking license for Capital One about 10 years earlier um, for Capital One Bank Europe. And, uh, and so, you know, we were able to sit there and go, yeah, we understand this is difficult. In fact, I applied for a license and, you know, was the, you know, key holder of the license for, you know, 10 years from, you know, whatever it was, 2000, uh, you know, um, wasn't even probably, it was probably, probably the 1990s to, to 2000 and something. So, um, you know, he, uh, uh, we, we were like, we do know what we're talking about. <laughs> this is what we're proposing to do. And, and, and interestingly, after we sort of got past the initial gatekeeper, the regulators were super friendly. And actually we were lucky because versus now there was almost nobody applying. So they were figuring out what they were doing, but equally, you know, the, the PRA of the Bank of England are quite a class outfit, you know, a lot of super smart guys there. And, um, uh, and they'd sort of created some teams and, gave us a, a team to work with of like four or five people who were also working on some of the other ones at the same time. Um, so, but it was, uh, you know, those guys were quite curious and and sort of excited about, you know, the idea of a digital bank and how's it going to work and explain it to us, you know, highly intelligent uh, people. So they were quite easy, particularly younger guy members of the team, but they'd get their heads around some of this stuff. And, and some of those guys are now out there in the in the world. I think Nick Lee was the head of, uh, um, when we went through the process, uh, the sort of head of new bank permissions. He's now um, he's now working for, I'm going to get this wrong, but TransferWise, Revolut, one of these guys. Oh, and, oh maybe Oak North. Anyway, yeah, Oak North, I think, as, um, as a sort of head of regulatory affairs. But, um, uh, but yeah, really, really, really good bunch of guys. But definitely there was an element of, 
of like disbelief, uh, i.e., you know, <laughs> this is never going to happen, both both from the very initial meetings with the regulator and from some of the investor community. Um, so it's uh, yeah difficult to imagine now when digital banking sort of, you know, almost interchangeable with fintech. It's, it's mad because like normally you find with VCs, there could be like, or even with the years, there could be trends that VCs are, are investing money in. Can you remember what, what would have been popular back in 2014 when you were looking to raise money or even 2013 when you're looking to raise money for Tandem? Yeah, so so there was, the, uh, well, uh, lo- lots of things um, uh, outside fintech, you know, ad tech. Um, uh, um, there was a lot of uh, a, lo- a lot of brouhaha. Remember, this was also sort of early Facebook times. So social media and and anything that came off the 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 revolution in social media was um, uh, was super interesting. Um, uh, they were. Um, in fintech, it was just payment. So, and and to be honest, most of them were saying, actually, we don't do financial services. It's too capital intensive. It's just not an area that interests us. Um, we don't do any of it. But the ones who had some knowledge of what's now fintech, um, you know, were were definitely um, uh, in the payments arena, and were saying, oh yeah, we've done a little bit in card auth, or we've done a bit in um, you know international payments, or you know, remember we raise money for Asimo um, uh, um, from, you know, a whole lot of US VCs, Greycroft included, Alan Patrikoff was a guy who founded Apex, um, you know, his, his, his vehicle. Um, and and they had, they'd done Venmo as well at that point. So there was quite a lot of exciting payments action going on um, in those early days, but just nobody, you know, nobody thought to build a new bank from scratch. Um, uh, that was sort of you know, they were happy picking off the scraps rather than uh, driving in the front door. So, uh, so yeah, it was, it was, it was definitely interesting. Uh, I do remember back in 2015 going to some of the Silicon drinkabouts and Tom uh, from Monzo, uh, Mondo at the time, probably um, were, were at them and they were handing out the cars. You remember the color of the cars, but that's how early stage it was. And it was one that like not everyone was paying attention to. Um, and I'm sure they can remember how difficult that was. I'd love to hear your thought on uh, the scenario where it's not always the first to market that ends up leading the way, right? Because like, if you think of like Revolut have had so much success, they launched in 2015 and Monzo, I think we're 2015. So we're starting bank or starting bank might've been even earlier, but you know, like if you think of ones that launched, like you, you launched 2014 and I know everyone's different and they've all got their different uh, unique selling points as well, but what what are your thoughts around being first to market or just seeing the opportunity when somebody else has done something and going right i can do that better because they normally set the trail that you can spot the the mistakes that they've made um because i know there's a lot of people out there with these ideas and they keep them so close so close to their chest because they don't want to anyone knowing about it until they launch but I, I always think that it's not necessarily the first to market yeah it depends on industry structure. Um, is it? Is it? Is it? And uh, and a lot of other things. Is a short answer. But um, uh, so, for example, there's a lot of sort of internet 1.0 or even 2.0 business models that were to some extent winner takes all. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean first mover takes all. By the way, so there's some very. Um, I mean, you know, Google, great example. Browsers, um, you know. Uh, Google was a was a was a late entrant into that into that field. You know, Yahoo was there, and Alta Vista, and all of guys you probably don't even never even heard of. Um, so, and 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 yet they came in and they did it better than the others, and they basically really focused. And and remember, and that's ironic now because Google does literally everything. But at the time, they did nothing but search, and it was this stripped back page. It was all white, which is completely different. The other ones were all like portals. They call themselves portals, and they were like, forget portal. The search is the portal into the internet. These words that you type in is how you get into the internet. It's not about, and they would have weather and news and this and that and the other um, on Yahoo and all these and Alta Vista and all these other ones. 
Um, and so Google was, was just better uh, and search and all those search things, by the way, we're so used to now, you know, you type something in Google and you actually get the right answer at the time. You get like, you know, you'd ask what the weather was in London and you get, you know, different varieties of teddy bear, you know, and it was literally, it was awful. Like these things that did not work. Um, and so, you know, Google's just actually getting you some half decent results. And even then they were super half decent, you know, they, they weren't, they weren't decent. Um, so, you know, and uh, so I definitely think now that was a very much a winner takes all market as it turned out, but actually it wasn't a first mover driven market. I think there are, um, uh, there are certain, um, uh, there, there are certain markets. So, I mean, in a funny way, like peer to peer payments, um, which in the U S Venmo really dominated, which was a, a first mover in that space. And then other followed square cash and some others, but, um, but Venmo continued to own that own that space because it it, it, it was viral. Um, but also, it, the the it, there were economies of scope or economies of scale, whereby the more people that were on the network, the easier the network was to use. And therefore, you know, if you could be the first to to scale, then 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 it, it got quite difficult for others to come in. So there are uh, there were definitely um, definitely first mover moments. Um, uh, but, you know, I, I think, you know, if you think about first internet comes to the UK and, um, uh, so one I knew pretty well with travel, uh, Brent Hoberman, um, you know, still a, um, uh, a friend, a great guy. Um, and, uh, he started lastminute.com, which was selling uh, one of the first real internet travel agencies. And at the time in, you know, in 99, 98, like travel was the big thing on the internet. It was like, you know, previously they've gone through these agencies, you had to sit down in an office and, you know, uh, they had very limited supply and suddenly you could, you could see everything on the internet it was crazy. But yet, you know, if you look at last minute versus somebody like booking.com and, and my friend was CEO there for a while, one of my university friends, um, you know, they came in with a really, an, uh, a really smart model where, you know, they were handing out free, essentially free booking systems to small and medium sized hotels was how they started with a business called Active Hotels. And they managed to get a whole load of supply that just you couldn't access through Sabering and I think it was Galileo, the two big travel uh, portals, which were the ones that last minute was using along with others. Um, and so, and so through that market transformation, they were, they were, you know, a hundredth mover. Um, they're now, you know, booking.com, they're everywhere. And even, even when you think you're booking with somebody else, you're often booking with booking.com at the end of the day. So I, I definitely think first mover is, is probably rarer than, um, uh, than, uh, you know, but there are certain markets where that, um, uh, that does actually confer advantage. So it's just really understanding the strategic, makeup of your industry and, and your idea to see whether that actually makes any difference at all. I don't think it does in banking really. And and it's interesting. I mean, there, there are even some guys coming through now, although I have to say I'm not, not backing them that much, but the, I think it's the Atlantic money. Have you bumped into these guys? No, not sure. They've got loads of money. They're, they're, they're trying to be better than Revolut. Um, I, you know, Revolut, I mean, you know, for, for, for all that, um, I don't, I don't use it much. And I, um, uh, I think transfer wise way better um, uh, and nicer guys. Um, uh, the, um, uh, um, you know, the, the interesting thing is that actually both TransferWise and Revolut have great digital products now. And the idea that you're going to build that all as a startup again, you know, when how many hundreds of millions, maybe even billions of pounds have actually gone into that build is like, on one hand, they'll definitely spend less because they won't have to do trial and error, which again, we had to do as a you know, first entry digital bank. It's like, what is a digital bank? What does it look like? What does it do? You know, we all took slightly different angles on it. Well, apart from ones when Starling took the same angle. But, um, uh, um, uh, but the, um, you know, uh, I, I definitely think, um, uh, there, there's, there's plenty of opportunity for, for second and third movers, but there's also people who I think have just missed the wave. Um, and, and the, the challenge then is, is less capital flowing in. Um, you know, people are focusing on the exits. People are just like, that's like last year's business. And you've got to be careful as an entrepreneur not to find yourself in the, in the back end of that wave where you haven't sold your business and it's three years late and everyone's going, well, are you trying to sell me another, you know, browser business? God, get out of here. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it's, it's definitely, um, 
there, there, there's, there's being in and on the wave and then there's being <laughs> just five years late, um, uh, which is a slightly different thing. The last thing I'll ask you on, ta- on Tandem Bank, I promise this, is I just wanted to go back to, because I know we talked about it previously on the on the show on Behind the Curtain, which was the, the House of Fraser deal with the the 35 million that was you know you had, you had planned on them investing in in tandem it was it was it was it was pretty much 99% a done deal and then you know what happened happened and i'd love to know like just what your learnings are from that like because you know like that's 35 you missed out on what that would have allowed you to do especially back then because that would have been that would have been quite a monstrous round of funding for for a fintech back then yeah, no, I mean, it was, it was very, I mean, there's, there's a learning and it's going to sound bad in the current context. Maybe I need to be careful what I say, but, uh, um, but yeah, be careful dealing with China. I mean, it was a uh, Sam Power is a Chinese, very indebted Chinese firm. We've done due diligence. They were, you know, perfectly upright, but very highly indebted. Um, and, and the problem is the contract doesn't really hold the same weight it does in China as it does here. I mean, they were actually, they, I think they'd actually signed at the point that they pulled out, but, um, uh, so, so yeah, um, a salutary lesson, uh, for future, um, just, you know, Chinese deal is done when the money's in the bank. Um, that's, uh, uh, that was that was my learning. Pretty much, pretty much every deal is done when when the money's in the bank anyway. But um, true, true. Yeah, like, <laughs> we'll, we'll move on from tandem anyway. So so life after tandem. What have you been up to? What 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 is Ricky Knox doing at the moment? A quick sponsor reminder: if you're looking to fund growth without having to give away equity, Uncap solved this problem. To find out more, go to weareuncapped.com forward slash uktn. And to avail of a 10% discount off your fees, use the code UKTN10. That's UKTN10. Lots of things. It's a short answer to the question. But um, uh, now I've been uh, cooking up a, a couple of new startups. It's been exciting. Um, uh, um, well, we were chatting about it just before. I've got one in the in the, in the pension space called Four More um, uh, that... Um, uh, can't tell you that much about because it's super super early but just raised a pre-seed round um and um uh i've also been coaching some ceos which has been super fun some super cool uh really impressive um uh sadly to date all guys but you know relatively younger guys who were who were building incredible businesses and you know just been blown away by uh you know how how good they are but equally you know, pleased to see that there's some value to uh, uh, to a little bit of grey hair or grey beard in my case. Um, you know, which is uh, you know particularly on some of the some of the challenges that you bump into that I've seen twenty times and tried out four different responses and got three of them wrong and then figured out the right way to do it. Um, you know, you can shortcut a lot of that stuff, and it, you know, it's a lot of people and um, uh, you know some technology and technology choices and stuff like that. But but. Um, uh, um, but but a lot about just people and management running the business, which um, which has been super fun. And and you know uh, I'm I'm in the lucky position that you know I don't um, uh, I don't have to take on you know I'm, I'm not doing this for a living, and so I'm doing it for fun. And, and so I can meet people and and choose to work with people who I really like, as well as um, uh, as well as are running impressive businesses. So um, so yeah, that's been that's been really fun and actually taken slightly more time than I anticipated, if I'm being honest. But I've also managed to, um, I raised 150 million for um, a business now announced via Bill, um, uh, um, which was um, uh, a buy now pay later business out of Denmark, um, which was a favor for a VC friend of mine who's, who, who, who's invested in them. Um, and uh, um, what else have I been up to? I've been doing lots of skiing in 2022 um, uh, and uh, having some fun, seeing some more of my family. Um, uh, and actually at the moment, I'm in, I'm in an office group, offices where I was, I was meeting for four more with the team uh, for all day. So I'm doing two days a week in, in an office, uh, albeit a serviced office at the moment, um, which, is, which has been super fun. So I love, I love the early stage and, uh, you know, uh, everyone's running around madly trying to um, get everything done yesterday, and it's been yeah, it's been super fun. 
uh, getting back in that level. But I'm chairman of Paul Morris. I'm, I'm not. I'm not full time on that. And Nick Perrett um, is le leading that business. Um, who's my was my chief product officer at Tandem. Is an awesome guy. With the the coaching that you're doing with the the CEO coaching is that all around the the fintech space? I take it they're all fintechs, or are they further afield? As it happens, they are fintech. So, I mean, I, I can say I've, I've been uh, coaching Ed Flock, who's an awesome guy, really amazingly impressive, um, you know, leader. He's still in his 20s. Um, and a guy called Kevin at Keyrock, which is an amazing Web3 business, really incredible business. It's going through a 10x since I've been involved. Um, uh, and he's just, yeah, you know, blindingly good founder as well so um so yeah really enjoyed both um uh working with both those guys you, you've done a lot as as we know and especially in, in the fintech space and and as i said you're doing a bit of the, the the coaching now what do you see are are the main difficulties that some of these ceos are coming up against and the reason i ask is when 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 i had startup van the whole mission behind startup van was to inspire and educate entrepreneurs and the reason we were doing it is because nine and 10 fail and we wanted to improve those stats, you know, reduce the amount of failures. And when we asked entrepreneurs what they were struggling with, what they needed help with, it came in the order of sales and marketing, followed by scaling, followed by funding, followed by HR growth. So what are you finding is is the real problem area, especially now in, in, in 2022? Yeah, so look, I mean... Um sales and marketing i mean obviously you know you've got sort of revenue is 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 at least in early stage sort of the ultimate barometer or even maybe there are some higher up kpis in that very early on but um uh um so obviously depending whether you're in a b2b or b2c business um if you're in b2b that 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 often means sales and sales dollars um uh if you're in a B2C business, it's more about marketing and traction with, uh, you know, customer acquisition and how that's working. I mean, uh, the truth is, though, if you've got a really great product market fit, you know, those challenges fall away and the other ones start coming to print primacy. Uh, uh, obviously, if you're, if you're really struggling with those those things then you know sometimes you need to you need to look hard at, at, at whether you've got the right product market fit and whether you've got enough you know um uh, uh, yeah and particularly in the b2c context um whether you should be looking at, at some changes to what you're selling um uh but then then you get and you know with the two businesses i'm talking to you know it's a, it's a lot around scaling and um and how you shift the organization try and maintain the best bits of the culture um you know uh grow uh, uh grow motivate um uh and and transition through various different team structures to, to and, and continue to be uh, to keep the sort of secret sauce that's been making you great um, as a small company. So, so that that's um, that's definitely what you know what I'm seeing in 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 my coaching situations. Um, uh, I think um, again, um, and both these businesses have been very lucky on the funding front. They're both you know both very in demand. Uh, I think funding also in 2021 anyway was you know I mean if you were struggling to raise funds you definitely needed to go back to the drawing board because because yeah. um, the truth is you know anybody could raise much money for anything in 2021. So 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 if you're struggling definitely start again would be would have been my advice last year. Now that's a little that's shifting a little. There's still a lot of competition um, for good deals. Uh, the valuations are still holding up in early stage, um, but ultimately, uh, you know, deal counts way down in twenty in February this year, um, and um, and I do think twenty twenty two is not going to be the uh, paradise for entrepreneurs that fundraising was in twenty twenty one. But but yeah, I think um, I think also your your nine out of ten startups. I mean, I I suppose maybe maybe I've got a slightly cynical view of this, but um, uh, you know, I don't I, when I you know, one of the reasons I do B two C businesses rather than B two B businesses, I actually think bad businesses deserve to fail, and actually ideally fail fast when they haven't wasted much of the entrepreneur's life. Um, uh, so so I actually don't. I wouldn't argue that you want to bash that number down. Um, you know, in fact, I'd argue that you want entrepreneurs to be um 
focused and realistic about what the risks and, and at what point they understand whether the business is working or not working and then go and apply their talents. I mean, I'm a big supporter of entrepreneurs, but I think businesses sometimes deserve to die. So, you know, um, and, and, and actually businesses, as you pointed out, do die a lot more frequently than humans. Um, but, you know, you can universally be sad about humans dying. Um, I, I get kind of happy when the wrong businesses die um, because I think, uh, I think that means you're releasing an entrepreneur to go and do something better with his life um, rather than something to be sad about. So I, I, maybe, maybe it would be, if I was trying to do, drive a metric there, it would be, um, uh, it would be time to, um, time to test the riskiest assumptions and, uh, you know, trying to make sure that entrepreneurs, uh, don't die. Entrepreneurs with great ideas don't don't uh, don't die for lack of uh, funding network. There are loads of things you can that people you know other reasons other than bad product or or wrong idea um, that businesses die. But there's equally um, yeah, there's an awful lot of business out there that where they've just misconstrued something. It's not really a good business, you know. And and so um, yeah want those ones to die quickly it's, it's a tricky one <laughs> though isn't it because like um there there's i've seen so many founders i think i've interviewed over three thousand founders now at this stage since i've started uh interviewing founders with startup wow. impressive yeah it's a lot like well, getting statistically significant yeah, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> what have your what have your findings been well, as i said like I, I i found out exactly what entrepreneurs need help with right which as i said yeah. was the order now i'm sure it's not the same order for everyone and sales and marketing should never be together they should always be separate anyway um but uh, I, I've seen some entrepreneurs which have, you know, jump ship so quick. And you were kind of like, God, if you had a stage, you, you know, it, it would have been a success. And then I've seen ones that have been real kind of like dragging it out for way too long and don't know when to let go. So I, I suppose like when is the sweet spot? Because, you know, it's like telling someone, oh, you'll never be good at this. And then they go on to be the best. And the reason they were the best is because people kept putting them down, you know. So, so I, I'm just trying to figure out where the line is there. No, look, it's a, it's a, it's a really, it's a really great question, and and um, uh, um, obviously, completely varies again, annoyingly by business and 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 person. But but look, I mean, perseverance is definitely you know a really important characteristic for an entrepreneur, and you know, certainly if you know, which I've done almost every time, you've gone and taken your mate's money and and people, you know, people you know and love and trust's money. You know, the last thing you should be doing is, uh, you know, bunking off because you can't be arsed after, you know, after, after a year or two, that will really upset people. Um, but there is equally a point, um, I had a difficult conversation with one of my investee companies, um, I won't name uh, uh, the other, uh, you know, just the other day, um, last week, where, you know, we agreed they, they built what we felt was... Um, uh, the, 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 the product that needed to be built and done enough iteration from the MVP that they really understood, um, what the, you know, what, what the product could do and that they'd ultimately, uh, totally misestimated willingness to pay on behalf of the customer. And so, you know, uh, they they played around a lot with price uh, already um, because they were doing individual corporate sales and B two B business, and and they literally tried you know tried to get you know tens of thousands of pounds a, a, a per contract and and ended up finding a sort of unfortunately a happy medium in in the sort of pounds per user place. And that number was never, ever, when you just ran that back to Tam, you know, this, you know, you were running a corner shop. Like this thing was, you couldn't afford to build a good software product, maintain a good software product, let alone pay a team of highly, you know, able people. And so, you know, we just said, look, it's probably time to put this into bed. And it was a year and a half old, um, a bit, um, uh, yeah, a, a bit sad for the entrepreneur, but equally, you know, talented guy. And, um, uh, and, and, and it was the right time to, uh, to choose something else. But I, so I think, I think the, 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 the key thing is to be learning and testing assumptions and then looking back at what you, you know, what you assumed when you started and back testing all the time to go, does this actually make this a shit idea or are all my numbers working? And it just, maybe I haven't quite designed the product tightly enough because, um, or, you know, uh, is it that I haven't got the right team members? I haven't got the right sales formula. Like there's there's things there that obviously could be 
um, could be fixed. But then, you know, once you've tried and tested and iterated enough, and if you really have tried all those price points and suddenly you've realized that you thought it was here and actually it's here, you know, there were a few things that, a tandem that we got wrong that we you know massively misestimated um luckily none of them sort of decimated our business model which was fortunate but but you know but there were de you know some stuff where we're out by you know 90 percent um and um and those you know some of those were painful you know they pushed out break even by a year or something like that so so but that doesn't make the business non-viable but but uh, you know an example like let's say you're you know doing b2b sales um you know and and you're, what you found is you know uh, you know direct online marketing doesn't work and direct mail doesn't work and voice sales you know doesn't work and so you need a human meeting. If your sales not ten thousand dollars or more, there is no way you can afford a human meeting. No way in hell. Not even one human meeting. You know. So so if it if it's I mean you can sell almost anything with a human meeting, especially you, Mark. But um, <laughs> you know. But but the point is, it, it you know if that's a million bucks a sale, then fuck, get in there and have twenty meetings. You know. But if it's if it's ten grand a sale, like you're just you're just not going to make money like that because you know the cost of the sales cycle is going to be too high to sell your product. So it's it's identifying those those key metrics that are like for my business i gotta prove that i can sell this at this price point you know otherwise my sales model doesn't work you know and then knowing to, to call a you know call a spade a spade when you when you hit one of those ones that you just can't jump over you can't wriggle around it um but but not giving up when you tried one thing and it's not worked you know and uh, you or you know i don't know you feel like it's a bit hard work uh, those guys aren't entrepreneurs in the first place. Yeah, well, we've all heard of the companies during COVID, during lockdown, that were B2B and then had no choice but to pivot to B2C um, that have grown bigger than they ever could have imagined um, by by pivoting that that small bit, by being forced to do that. Mm. Um, so like you're right, like you, you need to constantly be looking and watching and testing and trialing and, and seeing what's working. Um, before we go, what... what other than the areas that you've mentioned that you're involved in at the moment, what other areas out there, other than it could be fintech, whatever it might be, um, that are exciting to you? Where do you see the the, the next opportunities? So um, I've talked obviously about fintech, talked about pensions. Um, uh, um, the other thing that I'm looking at, and and these are two huge themes I think are massively important. Uh, a, a longer burn one is climate, and you know, I'm excited about building purpose driven businesses. Um, uh, as I said, we pivoted tandem to be you know the greenest bank in the UK for sure, and um, uh, and and possibly one of the greener banks in the world. Um, uh, the um, I think, you know, climate is a massive, uh, massive sort of trend, uh, while well, trend, it's, it's also, you know, a, a huge human crisis, you know, that, that needs to be solved. And I think the characteristics of that crisis is it's a bit slow burn for everyone to be chucking all their eggs in that basket right now. But, but as shit gets, um, hotter, literally, um, uh, um, over the next 10, 20 years, it's going to get more and more urgent, more and more apparent. And consumers are going to uh, consider it more and more urgently uh, a priority for them. Uh, so I think I think that's a that's a big seminal trend and something certainly I would like to build into with my next uh, next, next business. The other area um, that I think is super exciting and it's kind of stating the bleeding obvious, but you know I remember in a conference. Uh, every conference under the sun, probably ten years ago, everybody was going, "Oh, you know, AI and uh, blockchain," and um, uh, and yet, you know, um, you know, AI is still underdeveloped. Although I think it's starting to develop really fast right now, and it's also very widespread. It's hardly like a niche thing. Everyone's got a bit of AI going on. Even uh, most of the startups pretending they do and don't, but but even big corporates are doing it. Um, uh, it's hard, really hard, and therefore hard to copy, and therefore it's taking a long time and costing a lot of capital, and people are exper experimenting with it and failing. But, um, uh, but, but, but I, actually, I think AI is a little bit late stage now. Would be my view in terms of you know if you're thinking about new businesses, I still think blockchain is super exciting, web free, and it's it's a great great rename. Um, uh, but you know, 
it's absolutely bananas opportunity you know it is absolutely the internet of in my view you know of 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 the 2020s rather than you know the internet 1.0 which was you know me bumming around in in in, in 1999 trying to be a vc uh no 19, 2000 basically um uh, so i think you know, I think it's going to reinvent kind of everything that was already reinvented in a in a in a new and different way, and and it's very exciting in that it um it has. I know who knows whether any of this will actually happen, but you know, you can apply it decentralized sort of principles to everything from you know um, uh, the nation state. So we might just you know you could theoretically have distributed governance. Um, uh, where you and I were actually both lived in England, but we actually um, were um, governed. Um, so you know, obviously that's a little vague, and and I wouldn't say that's a, a that's a huge opportunity for tech entrepreneurs right now. But but through to um, uh, you know companies, organizations. So you you could change countries, <laughs> sub them out, change them completely, not have any countries. Um, you could change companies, you know, the entities that we're used to doing business through. Uh, there are already tons of DAOs out there. DAOs work slightly different from companies. I think what's going to happen is certain tasks are done better by DAOs, other ones done better by companies. So you're going to see this, this, this fragmentation of, of what is currently a sort of, you know, it's funny. I remember explaining to my daughter, my five-year-old daughter asked me, which they're not five anymore, but asked me, Daddy, what, you know, what, what, what do you do? And I'm like, I'm an entrepreneur. They're like, what does that mean? It means I build companies. What's a company? I'm like, Oh, that's actually quite a hard question. You know, yeah. Uh kind of it's kind of some pieces of paper that, you know, get submitted into a registry. It's like a it's a legal entity. Oh no, that doesn't mean anything, does it? Um, you know, it's some pieces of paper. And so she's like, So Daddy, you work for some pieces of paper. And I was like, Meh. I was like <laughs> I, I wrote those pieces of paper and I was just like, okay, you work for some pieces of paper that you wrote. I mean, actually a company, we're very used to it, but it's a pretty abstract concept. It's like, it's potentially got some people behind it, but it's essentially a set of legal agreements. I mean, it's, you know, it's out there in terms of, you know, trying to explain it to a caveman, you're, you're, you're really stuffed. Um, uh, and, and similarly, a lot of this web three stuff, which, People are really struggling to get their heads around right now, but could replace and just totally, you know, uh, totally tear up the rule book on, on, a, on a lot of the stuff that we sort of assume is part of the, you know, capitalist infrastructure or whatever you want to call it. Um, uh, and so, so I think that's super exciting. And I think it's, it's scary, but equally, um, we're, you know, the, the level of, of innovation. So in DeFi or, de, you know, decentralized financial services, uh, fintech, over the next, you know, even right now, even since I've been involved talking to a deep, you know, coaching this guy in DeFi business, like things have shifted so much in six months. It's about what would have happened in six years in the regulated side of the industry. Yeah. And 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 this is all gonna get eventually regulated, I believe. But um, but in the meantime, like it's innovating so fast that even just keeping up with what the hell's happening and what the words are is super hard. You know, I don't know that you spent any time going and you know uh, putting on MetaMask and going and uh, actually hanging around and and buying things in uh, you know in the metaverse. But you know, and I've just backed something called the Bar at the end of the metaverse, which is Sparkleverse. And, uh, you know, there 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 is so much crazy stuff going on with. Sort of duplicating everything in the real world, but at a at a sort of hundred x speed, and 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 with weirdly, you know, it's just very different. Like some things are different. Think some things are so totally different. Like one of my friends on the weekend was saying, "But why would you want to go and hang out like as an avatar on your computer, basically sitting there like not talking to real people?" And I was like, "Well, while at one hand uh, you might not want to, and you certainly wouldn't want to do it all the time." Imagine if you're in the metaverse, you could be Superman, you know, yeah. you could fly and, you know, you could have the best chat up lines in the world if you paid the right person to write them. And you, um, you know, you could, you could be super good looking, <laughs> uh, you know, you could do all those things that, you, you know, you can't really do much with outside in the real world. And so, so, so maybe wandering into that bar as Superman and, you know, with amazing acrobatic skills and, and, and incredible chat up lines might be a good thing for you. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm applying it in one particular context, but, but the point is, the metaverse is going to be very, very different from uh, from real life. It's going to have a load of drawbacks. You're not really, again, smell them, touch them, <laughs> uh, kiss them. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm applying here to bars and and, uh, um, and and relationships. But but the point is, 
uh, it's gonna it's gonna have advantages as well as disadvantages. Yeah. They all have their place. I, to be honest with you, I don't know whether we should be excited or scared. You know, but only time will tell. But um, Ricky, I wanted to thank you for your, for your time today. It's been it's been an absolute pleasure catching up, and and thank you for being so open and honest about everything that's that's happened with Tandem. Um, before you go, this is a question that I ask all of my guests, and I'd love to know what book you've read that has had the biggest impact on either you as an entrepreneur or on any of your businesses. Oh, it's a super tricky question. I mean. Ironically, the sort of the book that probably had the most influence, and it's super old and boring. Um, but actually, really, it was a text, a business school, but I read it before then, which is Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Um, it, it's um, uh, it, it, that's particularly relevant for me because I wasn't very good at structuring my time, um, and and that's helped me manage life in and out of work uh, more effectively. Um, uh, but it's a bit of a lame, it's a bit of a lame answer from the point of view of business books. I mean, um, well, it's not really because them. there's a lots of of entrepreneurs that would would struggle with that time management. Yeah, so hopefully that's helpful for some people. I mean, there are some incredible books, lean startup, that have really reinvented the way people think about building businesses and testing hypotheses. Which I would sort of, you know, I, I think everybody should have read. Um, uh, more recently, I've been spending most of my time reading about Web3. Um, and it doesn't matter how many books I read, I'm still, uh, you know, I'm still a beginner. Um, but, uh, uh, but, but there's some actually interesting, there's, a, there's quite a fun, just for, well, this is more latest reading than, than stuff that really drives entrepreneur. There's a, there's a good Harvard Business School series, which does everything from sort of blockchain to strategy to marketing to various bits and pieces, which is quite fun. They're little, quite consumable books. And they're, they're, the difference is so many books you read because there's no real, there's nobody who, who, who checks whether books are total bullshit or, you know, actually really good apart from like your mates and they recommend one or another. Um, but there's so little fact checking in our world where it's actually the stuff that comes out of Harvard Business Press is all pretty kosher. <laughs> it's all, it'll, it's real sense. Somebody's tested it. A lot of people have te- checked that it really, really makes sense. So I found that's been, I've actually read quite a few of these recently, you know, even like rereading them on strategy, which was, you know, all this Michael Porter stuff that I did at business school, um, it's actually been quite, 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 actually quite useful. So, so yeah, I'd recommend that if, uh, if, if people are, are, are lacking, lacking a bedtime read. Yeah, well, that's exactly why I asked this question, you know, because, you know, you can look online on what book to buy and there's a, there's a million and one different books on business and entrepreneurship, but, you know, you can never judge a book by its cover, as they say. And that's why I always like asking other entrepreneurs what they have read, what they have found successful, because now I know on their feedback, what what I'm going to read next. So, Ricky, thanks again so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, Mark. Awesome to talk to you. Thank you for listening. Before you go, could you please take a moment to hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening to this podcast? I'd really appreciate the support. And remember, our sponsor, Uncapped, offer up to $5 million of capital for a flat fee. You pay back only as you generate sales. No dilution or loss of control. Apply online. Decision within 24 hours. Make monthly repayments that flex with your revenue. Head to weareuncapped.com forward slash UKTN to find out more. And to avail of a 10% discount off your fees, use the code UKTN10, that's UKTN10.